Hello, welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hello, welcome back. So for today's discussion, we're going to talk a little bit about training zones, sort of how we define them, how we set up our intervals or our training around them, and how to understand when when we've got the maximum benefit and exactly what, what is that benefit um, as far as a physiological standpoint and what does that mean for our performance. Yeah, zone, zone, zones. Everyone loves talking about zones, and hopefully we can shed some light on maybe why and what you want to get out of each zone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's nice to like, oh, well, I'm going to go ride zone two, but like, what is what does that mean, and why, right? Why are you riding in zone two? Like, because you don't want to ride in zone three, or because there's some specific uh, result that you're looking for in training through that that zone? And actually, the idea of zones is a bit hot uh like hotly debated uh so first off there is not one unified zone idea Mm -hmm. we're gonna go over seven zones is that correct todd yep and i think when i first started i was presented with the five zone model and there's also a 13 zone model i believe that splits most of these seven zones into two or three like high tempo low tempo mid tempo and did you get the uh was the five zone even have a like the one i'm used to is like you know, one through four and then five ABC. Maybe that, which is which basically is seven. seven. Yeah. 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 I think five was just all anaerobic was sort of okay, lumped like together. Hard. Yeah. yeah. Hard, hard like, effort. <laughs> if you're breathing heavy, you're in zone five, yeah. that yeah. sort of thing. So, and you know, there, there are many ways also to define the zones, not just like, you know, okay, well, how many zones do I have? Five, seven, 13. Um, also, you know, can you, are you going to do it by heart rate or percent VO2 max? Or in, in this case, it's going to look at, um, power as a percentage of your functional threshold. Uh, so I, I reference uh, Coggin in, um, in, the, in, in here. Uh, so that's basically where I'm coming from is using his work as a reference. And so based on that, that's how we'll sort of base our discussion. But no, I think heart rate is a valid way to do it. It, it has its strengths and limitations, uh, but we're going to go for power today. I think a lot of or the original zones were based off of your um, lactate level in mm-hmm. your blood. And so they tried to delineate the differences in, your, in the millimoles per milliliter of lactate or lactic acid in your blood in order to say, look, you're using a different energy system. And then they converted that to some sort of power percentage of your threshold or of your VO2 max. Right. And I think that's the thing that actually underlies a lot of these zones is it's really sort of looking at your energy systems, right? What, what energy systems are being used and sort of where are these transitions between energy systems? I think as we start to talk about this and the, and the times, I think that's where, for me, when I think about the physiology, that starts to become clear. It's like, okay, yep, this is a delineation between, you know, one energy system shifting into another um, and so on. So we'll just, just get going here. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so zone one. This is the, and they're numbered for reference from, you know, least intensity to greatest intensity. Uh, So zone one is your active recovery zone. Uh, So that's your lightest riding level. That's going to be less than 55% of your FTP as it's defined by Coggin. Uh, So it's a pretty light ride. And again, the intention here is not really to create any physiologic adaptation. You're not actually trying to create a training stress you're actually trying to facilitate recovery when you're in this zone. So these are going to be shorter rides, maybe 30, 90 minutes, depending on your, your level and your, your training experience. And again, the idea is, you know, coming from PT background, we tend to think about things as um, active recovery, right? We, we don't do bed rest for most conditions anymore, right? 
we know that getting people up and getting them moving, even in situations where it's a same day of as a surgery, uh, we get people up and get them moving because that active recovery actually facilitates a better outcome than just sitting, sitting down. And this isn't to say that you shouldn't have absolute rest days from your bike riding. Uh, even within your training, you should have some absolute rest days where you're not biking, but you know, to help re- recover and uh, enhance your ability to perform that next workout, this is where this zone comes in with your training. Now, I, I always, I always feel better after a really hard day doing a little bit of light, light riding just to loosen up the legs personally. I mean, that's placebo. Yeah. So my coach, when it came to recovery said, do an hour recovery or nothing if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. And, giving the athlete the option to pick some days it would be cold and a little wet and you have your hot chocolate and you're like, I'm not going to do an hour. I'll just, uh, just, maybe I'll stretch a bit, mm-hmm. um, and just relax. And that can, the mental refresh of that can be just as valuable as the one hour. But the reason to do the hour from a less, not a PT standpoint is, uh, I was always told it like kind of kicks the blood around and moves it around and, mm-hmm. and removes any toxins or any, uh, inflammatory, things that could be in your legs and um, just moves everything around. And also you get a little bit of a a hormone response to raising your heart rate a little bit, and that can uh, help facilitate some recovery. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's some, some benefit. And again, I think that's a a nice way that your coach approaches it. Well, if you want to do it, great. You know, if you're feeling it, then do it. And if not, not right. And you got to listen to your body. All right. Zone two, uh, this is, this is like your foundation. This is your endurance zone. Uh, so again, so moving up 56 to 75% of your FTP, and these are going to be sustained. Like if you're in this zone, you're going to probably be there for a long time. Again, all this is, it sort of depends on your level of experience and your training objectives, but this could be anywhere depending on where you are in your training and your experience an hour to five hours, or maybe more if you're doing really big stuff, uh, that you're going to try to sit at this level and maintain that load over time to really make your aerobic system more robust. So, you know, if we start to look at the benefits that you're getting here, um, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit in the base episode, right? So you're going to increase your cardiac output. You're going to increase your stroke volume. You're going to increase your ability to metabolize fat as you're riding. So all, all those things that help with endurance. Uh, I think there's also a mental aspect too, when you get to the really long stuff, that's not necessarily, um, physiological, uh, or your, you know, your cardiovascular system, but I think there's a mental aspect of just continuing to ride beyond a certain point in time and understanding what, what that means for your body. Yeah. And even, uh, extrapolating even further learning if your bike's actually comfortable after the fifth hour can also be important. Uh, so doing all of these, uh, things in endurance zone, I think that endurance, if you want Again, a less um, medical definition, it's it's basically what you should be able to do indefinitely in mm-hmm. this sort of, well, eventually you need to sleep, but you know, as long as you stay hydrated and get enough fuel, you should be able to do this forever, mm-hmm. uh, basically. And it should really feel like that while you're in this zone is, yeah, we're moving, but you know, I could, I can do this for a while. Yeah. I, this is a pace that I can sustain as long as you ask me to do it. Yep. So, and that's, this is actually the most common pace for, I think Ironman competitions, you might dabble into zone three, but most of it is actually zone two because the event is just so long. Yeah. Nine, 10, 11 hours. Mm -hmm. If you're an age grouper, maybe even longer. Yeah. I mean, and and same thing with some of these, uh, ultra endurance or these gravel races that you're seeing now, 
you're riding for nine or ten hours, you can't go that hard that long. You just have to be able to maintain and grind out this pace. Who was the um, the UK based endurance ultra endurance cyclist who wanted to hit I think eighty five k miles in a year? Uh, Stephen was his first name, I believe. Oh, the guy that's like just rides crazy, yeah, crazy. How post Strava rides of like twenty hour rides. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, he I was reading a little bit about his stuff, and he does two hundred watts on the dot, or I think maybe two oh one is his average every time and that's what that's like the only thing he looks at is his average wattage and he makes sure that even throughout the ride and we talked about this in base training a bit your your variability index is Mm -hmm. super low so he's doing a 20 hour time trial at 200 watts Mm. and you know every day for a year to try and break that year the year uh, record record. yeah i mean yeah i mean not not only just the physiologic toll right but that's it tremendously mentally straining right i mean no matter how much practice you have at riding at 201 watts there's still a, a certain amount of mental toll that it takes as you continue to try to do that hour upon hour yeah and they were talking about he's actually uh like kind of heavy has a little bit higher body fat percentage and you know the i think he was working with a uh, coach or two and they said yeah well he just eats everything and uh, you know if, if if you're trying to stay super lean and only have carbohydrate rich foods and not just what your palate enjoys then there's no way to get enough fuel to stay at that number. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're trying to ride that long, you just have to eat anything, right? You just have to get enough calories in to continue going down the road. Yeah. And I also remember, we might be going off on a tangent at this point, but he had like saddle sore issues and uh, like, okay, kind of obviously, but you know how dialed your fit has to be to be able to ride for 20 hours straight day after day or, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, just not have overuse injuries. Right, like ten nights yeah, or that. something to creep up on you. That's a pretty dialed fit, independent of saddle sore. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like eight months in, he gets a saddle sore. It's like, well, it took eight months for you to get like a bike related issue. Right. I mean, that's... for for a lot of us, that's like six years of riding. Yeah. At that point. <laughs> and yeah, and I, you know, conversely, you know, a lot of us is like two months in, and you're already you right. Know, you have a saddle sore or yeah, something, right. or some something you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, something's a little bit annoying. All right, so for the rest of us who don't have 20 hours a day to, to pedal, um, we might train in other zones to try to facilitate those adaptations a little bit quicker. So if we move up to zone three, um, just picking up where zone two left off, 76% up to 90% of your FTP. And this is going to be a little bit shorter, right? And, and th- you know, these things, as we go through, you'll see there's an inverse relationship. As intensity increases, duration decreases i think this makes sense especially when you start to think about the energy system so the first the first couple are sort of indefinite because you weren't putting enough load on the system until you need to sleep or eat or something like that but now start to ramp up the intensity now we start to bump up against the the limits of the energy systems that support these levels of effort so uh, in the case of tempo anywhere between one and three hours typically again depending on your experience level, your fitness level, um, you know, could be more if you're a super fit, super experienced rider, depending on what you're trying to do. That's a, the typical recommendation. Um, so looking at that and okay, well, so what, what do I do when I do my tempo riding? So we sort of do all the things that we did with endurance level riding, but we sort of do them a little bit more. Um, and the thought of this is like, well, yeah, it's, it's more intense. It's more stress on the system, but still it's really the same energy system. We're not 
really producing you know lactate that we can't clear at this point in the game so we're we're really just cranking that intensity up just a bit and as a result you know per unit time is a way to think about this we're we're getting more effect in all those same domains so increased cardiac output increased uh, blood volume plasma volume um, increased mitochondrial density all those things that are helping our aerobic system are happening and just a little bit more yeah so it can be thought of as you know we're doing 10 reps of squats instead of 20 reps of squats mm -hmm. but the, you know the weight we added this, weight yeah we, we added weight but the you know the total neuromuscular recruitment the result is going to be the same mm -hmm. so this is a good way for someone who has less time to elicit similar responses to zone two but they get to do it in half the time because they were sitting in zone three and uh, now i think the thing that we have to be cautious of right is these all come at different um, physiologic tolls right so there's a different training load imposed so you can't just say like oh well, i'm just going to do the same amount of like hey i want to be even better than that so i'm just going to take my time i had for zone two and i'll do it all in zone three like, at some point your physiology is not going to handle that it's going to be overloaded too much and that's not a, that's a non-productive path to go down yeah, and, and one of the big differences between, we said zone two, you should be able to do basically forever. Um, my longest tempo uh, event was, it was Bariani. We talked about this on one of the episodes. Mm -hmm. I, I got seventh in the pro race and I did 80% FTP for four hours and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I couldn't walk the next day. So if you're trying to do an endurance ride and, oh, I'll just bump it up to tempo, uh, you know, into the tempo zone you're not going to be able to do your workout the next day and your net total stimulus is actually going to go down. So you have to find that right balance. The The main advantage of endurance is you can do that four days a week, five days a week, maybe uh, versus tempo. You're going to need some rest. It's it's a proper workout where you need a, a mm -hmm. real recovery from it. Yep. It's going to, it's going to fatigue you and it's going to accumulate over time. Yep. The other thing to note with tempo is I believe once you get about halfway up tempo, you start to drop off on your fat utilization mm -hmm. and you start to get into Burned the range carbs. of high carb utilization. And one of the main advantages of endurance zone is increasing your fat utilization so you can spare the carbohydrates for that high intensity that you need in a race. So if you only do mid-tempo as your base, mm -hmm. then you actually might lose out on teaching your body to use fat and then your uh, total energy production during a long race may, you know, be hindered. Well, or total total energy availability, right? Yeah. The, or total en energy you can utilize. Right, because we have a finite amount of stored gly glycogen and a finite amount of carbohydrate intake, but we theoretically have an unlimited fat store. Yeah. For for uh, you know for normal practical road purposes. Race. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you can if you can't use that fat you're at a hindrance compared to those who can use that fat in a meaningful way. Right. You're, you're dipping into that carbohydrate tank maybe a little bit earlier than somebody else. So that you know, sprint or acceleration at the end of the race is maybe a little harder mm -hmm. or not just not there. Uh, yeah. There's nothing and, to draw on. And one workout that I, I do somewhat regularly is um, a, a lot of my workouts tend to be about four hours because mm -hmm. that's the length of road races and that's my preferred discipline anyway. But doing we worked we started with two by 30s in mid-tempo mm -hmm. and slowly creep that up to two by 60s mm -hmm. and so for the two by 30s you do 
uh, an hour and a half of zone two. Mm-hmm. And then you would do your 30 minutes. You'd wait 15. You'd do your other 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you just ride home. Mm-hmm. Ends up being about four hours. And when you move to the two by sixties, you just start a little earlier to make it. Mm-hmm. So the middle of your workout is those. The hard. Um, yeah. Rel- yeah. More vigorous part. And there, that's a great simulate. You have to find a good road where there's no stop. Uh, you can do stop signs because you can kind of slow roll them and it's okay if you miss out on five seconds of power, mm-hmm. but, uh, stop, stop lights are pretty, uh, pretty challenging for yeah. that. Yeah. And, uh, it's great simulation for a breakaway. If you, f- if you fancy not going into a field sprint, then finding yourself in a breakaway, you, you get flashbacks to your two by sixties a little bit. And, um, uh, it really prepares you to just go in the hole like that. And it also teaches you how to eat and you learn what food, uh, doesn't sit very well and what food is difficult to unwrap while you're still trying to do 250 watts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a good experience. And I think that tempo is important, especially if you're a road racer. That's the that's the zone for road racing. Mm-hmm. But uh, don't neglect your zone two, which will... I've, I would find it hard to believe that that's not... I think that's, you know, the... It's, a, it's called base for a reason. That's mm-hmm. really the thing that everything's built on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... As much as Hunter Allen and Andrew Coggin talk about sweet spot, I'm going to omit that because it's not really its own zone. It's sort of a hybrid between three and four. Well, I mean, I'd like to say something about sweet spot, actually. So the the idea behind sweet spot is um, you are maximally using your aerobic capacity, but not touching your anaerobic capacity. And the claim here is that when you start to move into your anaerobic engine, you actually decrease your aerobic contribution. So if you're at 100% of your FTP, you're Mm -hmm. right at what you can do for an hour, you have a significant anaerobic contribution. Mm -hmm. And actually your aerobic contribution decreases. It doesn't stack it's not, uh, it doesn't become, it's not built on top, right? It's right. like you dip into it a little bit. And so the sweet spot, the idea behind it is you are at 100% of your aerobic capacity and 0% of your aerobic capacity or as anaerobic. close as you mm-hmm. can be. And what that does is it really gives you exactly the aerobic stimulus that you want to build the aerobic engine, to build the ability to use oxygen as a part of your fuel mm-hmm. source. And this is great if you're a time trialist or... Um, Something, you know, you, you use your aerobic engine a lot, but the problem with it is it's almost just as fatiguing as threshold Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not quite the right effort. You would never do sweet spot in a real race probably. Right. You're either going to go harder or not as hard, right. As the situation demands. Yeah. So it is really specialized as in you would only do this to elicit an exact training response. It's not a zone as in you would find yourself in it in a real world situation. Most of the time it's, it's just, Hey, we found that this particular little window is good yeah. for one. Particular from, thing. from a physiology standpoint, it has, it sort of maximizes the benefit that you're getting, right? That's the idea is you're getting the maximal training stimulus right there. And theoretically, relatively speaking, like I said, less, less fatigue accumulated for the training statement. So it's like good bang for your buck from a physiologic and training response standpoint. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's how it is. That's kind of how you think about it. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you're time crunched, I believe that's yeah. true. Yeah. And I think though, if you are a professional athlete, I'm not so sure you spend so much time in sweet spot because 
I think um, someone who has unlimited time has more concerns about the muscular fatigue of their workouts. Mm-hmm. And so they'll spend a lot of time working on that base zone too. The muscles feel pretty good after this. And then they'll spend time with really focusing on the anaerobic engine, which would be you know zone six. And right. they'll do super hard uh, so you, anaerobic Yeah, you workouts. get into sort of like the um, polarized training sort of yep. philosophy, right? Where it's like you're either kind of zone two or you're really, really hard. And, and polarized is going to be good if you have, um, you know, time is not a constraint. Right, indefinite time, yeah. Yeah, and so sweet spot's going to give you that value when you're more restricted. Yeah, again, it's like an inverse relationship, right? Yeah. Depending on how, except for, you know, time, time to effort. Yeah. Okay, so sweet spot now dismissed. Yeah, that we definitely didn't talk about for five minutes now. Uh, we'll move on to, to zone four, like half, halfway home here. So like work, working on your threshold. So this can be anywhere from 91% of your FTP to about 105% of your FTP. Um, now, as far as, you know, benefits, um, many, many benefits, right? Again, this is like you're doing many of the same things as you were in the lower zones, um, except now you're, again, per unit time, getting more of those physiologic responses as far as um, efficiency from the mitochondria, as far as stroke volume goes, all those things are still happening. Um, Again, just like per unit time, you're going to get a little bit more response with that, but you're not going to get the fat burning effect here, right? That's sort of, you're now moving into this much more carbohydrate dominated, uh, dominated zone of effort. So you know, like, okay, I've sacrificed my fat burning. That's fine. But I know that this is a very specific sort of effort that I need to do for the, uh, the higher end during these race efforts. And so when you think about, so building out your workouts for this or building out your intervals, what, the, what does this look like? Uh, these intervals might be anywhere from eight minutes to half an hour. And now, right. Theoretically at hundred percent on the nose, you should be able to do that effort for an hour. Um, I know some people like to do the like hour of power workout thing. Um, that's pretty, it's pretty intense if you, if you go down that path, but typically you'll see like, um, eight to 30 minutes. And so if we go down this idea of like, okay, well, how do I know I got the optimal, um, dose of this workout? If you do an hour at threshold, you, I think you're done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't think you want to do a whole lot more. Um, but if you're going to do shorter, intervals so one this is where this inverse piece comes in so if you're going to do uh, an eight minute effort and try to get a benefit from threshold that's probably gonna be 105 percent right it's gonna have to be pretty high intensity if you're gonna do a 30 minute effort eh, you might get away with uh, 91 92 percent you know up to 100 percent uh to be able to do that now when you're trying to optimize your interval i think i think it's important right to understand how much do i need to do on this day to know that I've maximized the training benefit I can get from this workout? I think that's a really important question because you don't want to, like, if you have the time, uh, you don't want to leave something on the table. And I think if you're the type of person who is very motivated by putting on a number and going to a race, you're, you're always trying to be better. And I think it's very easy to go past. And like we talked about in one of our prior episodes, end up in this overtrain situation because you're just very motivated and you want like, Oh, well I can do one more. Right. And if I do one more, one more must be better. And the answer to that question is not always. 
Yeah, and I, w- I would say remember that it's commonly suggested to do 85% of maximal. So I think, I, I mean, when you were saying you're giving your explanation, I was thinking in my head, how do we find that 85% point? Mm-hmm. And if we accidentally go to 90, I think that's okay. But sure. if we get to 100, we've we've really messed up. Right. But if it's a race, then yeah, you want to go to 100, but on your, sure. your you know, or 105 if you can, right? Um, so, all right. So how do, how do we do this? How do we think about this? How do we use data to inform our decision-making? And, you know, you probably need to get the calculator out on your phone to answer some of these questions unless your threshold is a really nice yeah, round, perfect, round number. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So what, what are we looking at here? Um, the first thing that we need to set up here is that for any of these numbers I'm going to reference, the reference value that you're looking at is actually your third interval in any set. So th- this has to be a set of intervals that you're doing at least three, and then you're always going to compare to the third one with with the rationale being like, well, the first two, you're probably a little amped up. You're fresh, you're amped up, you're psyched to do your workout, so you might have a little more a little more juice, right? A little more gusto. My you, first one's actually, those. my first one's usually a bit low. My second yeah. one's a bit high. Right. I get excited on the second one and then three, four or five, however You start far, to normalize to really, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think it's fair, right? The first one you're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to gas myself on this first one. And then yeah. The and second, the legs are a bit, uh, yeah. Iffy. You're still like warming up into it. And yeah. the second one, you're like, all right, that was all right. I can do, I can do that. And you may get a little excited and you warmed up. And then, yeah, so the third one, maybe a little fatigue sets in, maybe you're getting into that zone and, and dialing it in. So with that said, so let's say you go out and you do, you're trying to do uh, 20 minute efforts. What you should look at is if your fourth effort is less three to 5% less than the power value of the third effort, then you've hit your, you hit your target. You're done. No, no need. You've maxed out that. Um, that system and that's usually going to be like 10 to 15 watts lower and yep. that's lower than your third interval lower than your third interval yeah so again keep that keep that calculator handy or yeah. hope you're like really good at mental math which is a, a whole other study i don't think we've talked yeah we've while, talked about this while, the the mental training while you're doing yeah, uh, so exercise we're we're gonna have to do this different, separately, different episode you yeah if your heart rate's super high and then you ask someone to do math problems it, it can maybe have a long-term benefit yep. um so now if that's uh that interval is 10 minutes. You're doing, you know, repeats on 10 minutes. You're going to look at a four to 6% degradation from that third interval to say like, okay, yep, this is the cut point time to go home. I've got, you know, and on the flip side, right. If you're like, you did, you're supposed to do say four or five and you do that last one and you, you're still above four to 6% and you got the time. Theoretically, uh, it's possible that you may still have another one in the tank, right. Or, that may that may not have been sufficient train stimulus on that day, and you well, know, your there, threshold that, is a little bit low. Yeah, or you you didn't calculate correctly. Yeah. So that may be a, a sign. You, you know, maybe skip the extra interval and go back to the calculator, uh, or go back to your coach. Say, hey, look, this went super well. Uh, should we be adjusting things? Mm-hmm. And a, a few things I want to say about the lactate threshold. So the name itself uh, is the as you increase in intensity, there are these pretty famous charts i would say of the lactate like lactic acid levels mm-hmm. in the athlete's blood and as you approach your um, lactate threshold the the lactic acid level really well, ramps the up concentration of lactate right the lactate ion yeah, yeah. and so the the amount of lactate millimoles of lactate right? yeah the the amount it um really steeply 
ramps up at some yeah, point. It's an inflection so there, point. Yeah, there's an elbow. And um, th- when it really starts to get around the elbow is the threshold. That's the, the point at which you really start using your anaerobic engine because your anaerobic engine is what produces the, the lactate. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the whole point of the name. It, you know, it's not just a name because of right. the name. That's, you know, it's, it comes there's from... A, there's a reason. Yeah. Well, and right, the idea is that you're now producing lactate at a rate that you can no longer clear, right? It, at lower levels, I think we've talked about this before, you know, in that in the endurance zone, in the tempo zone, you just, there's still some lactate that's being produced. It's just being managed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not accumulating in the bloodstream. So it's being, it's being managed and shoveled. And, uh, once, and then once you hit that point, you can no longer shuttle it. And that's right. when it starts to just sit in your muscles. And that's right. the it's burning. Accumulating. Yep. Yeah. And so the other thing I want to say about this zone is zone four is the start of the be careful zones. And I I remember listening to an interview with a a track coach who said, uh, when an athlete is in peak form, you really have to be careful with them because they are so strong that they can almost hurt themselves. And if you, for some reason, you're, you know, you're in the middle of training, you're getting ready for a big race and you're feeling really fit. And you want to do 30 minute threshold intervals, which is first off pretty crazy. Uh, and you want, you know, you want to do three of them. You can really injure yourself if you're not careful. You can end up, you know, not feeling very good the next day, not being able to finish your next workouts. That's a prime opportunity to get an overuse injury. So be really careful with how much fitness you have. And th- that's a good reason to get a coach is because they won't tell you to do that. But yeah, we're starting to get into the zones where it's uh, you want to really be conscious of your efforts and you really want to be careful not to. You could blow your legs off, you know, if you wanted to and absolutely destroy these intervals. But you have to be careful if it's not a race. If it's a race, yeah, yeah it's a race. Do it. You know, races are 100% every time. But if, if it's just training, then, you know, be a little more careful. Yeah, I and mean, these are these are really the zones where you're accumulating significant fatigue you're placing a significant stress on the body again with the objective that you're going to reap the reward sometime down the road from a fitness standpoint and perhaps from a you know race standpoint too, a performance standpoint uh but yet that also be managed right i think that's the point is that your, your coach is managing that for you or helping mm-hmm. you manage that or manage that with you so that you don't miss the objective yeah and if you are if you are self-coached you have to make sure that you are you know, a little part of your brain is saying, well, let's make sure we don't, you know, destroy it because I, for most of us, the other 85% of our brain is like, do two extra. Right. Let's do it. I'm motivated. I'm feeling it. Yeah. So, um, okay. Zone five. All right. So zone five is really targeted at the VO2 max. And so this is going to go anywhere from about 106% of your FTP all the way up to about 120% of FTP. Uh, so, Again, now this is where it's interesting. Like you start to get some very specific physiologic adaptations when you start to get into these zones and some of the other ones start to drop off. So for example, like you're not really increasing the, the mitochondrial enzymes anymore in theory. I've, I've read some research that says you're making the mitochondria more efficient at this level. Um, but you know, neither here nor there. You're, you're certainly doing some pretty significant things for plasma volume. Uh, you're certainly doing some very significant things for shockingly increasing your VO2 max. Um, I think that's probably intuitive. Like if you, if you work on the thing, it's probably going to improve. Um, 
And part of VO2 max is, you know, cardiac output, stroke volume. That's one of the components of the equation. So naturally it, it would follow that if you're improving VO2 max, you probably have to be improving the things that contribute to VO2 max. Um, so I think those are the, those are the big things, but then you see, you're not going to change your fat burning a whole lot by doing VO2 max intervals. You're not going to change your ability to store glycogen a lot by doing VO2 max intervals. These are the things that you did in zone two. These are the things that you um, built your base with, and now you're you're going beyond that base and, and building some other specific adaptations to help your performance in a different way. So what does a VO2 max interval look like? Um, typically three to eight minutes. Uh, so right, the the top of the longer, lower intense, lower intensity, relatively speaking, VO2 max intervals are sort of pick up um, where the higher intensity lactate threshold intervals dropped off um, and then all the way down to about three minutes of duration. So now if same, same idea as before, all right, well, when do I know I did enough of my VO2 max intervals on a given day? Or when should I when should I call it quits and ride home and you know save it for another day? So if you're on that, um, I said ten minutes before for lactate threshold, you know four six percent reduction in power versus your third effort. If you're looking at a five minute window for a VO two max interval, if you're doing repeats on that, you're looking at about a five to seven percent reduction in relative power. So again, keep that calculator handy because the, these numbers, especially if you're you know your threshold some weird number. Uh, that's really hard to calculate on the fly. You know, seven like percent of yeah. I wonder also if you're like uh, really if you're sweaty. gassed, yeah. yeah, and you're like seven percent. You're cross-eyed, of... and you're. Well, I can even imagine you're like you're missing trying the to push calculator. it into the calculator. Yeah. So maybe like even calculate a little bit beforehand. You should have some idea of what that effort should be, right? You're like, okay, yeah, I should hit about a hundred and hundred and ten on that. Therefore, a seven percent reduction is X, right? So yeah, you, you should like, have an idea. Tape it, yeah, tape it to your stem or something. And once you start dropping off in power, it it's pretty. Uh, I mean, clear. yeah, there, there's some, uh, there's some feeling that goes with that and it's not a good one. Yeah. And, uh, and even sometimes if you do start the next interval, if you're on the edge of whether you should quit or not, you'll know probably halfway through that. Yeah. Interval, like, like, it doesn't feel very good. Uh, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then, so if you do it on the, the higher intensity, you know, close to that 120%, but shorter duration, so three minutes, uh, again, so this is these inverse relationships as these intervals get shorter, the drop-off that we're looking for is larger. There's just a little bit more variation in the system there. So three minutes, you're looking at a eight to nine percent um, drop-off before you say, "Okay, yep, that's that's enough. I'm I'm done with that for today." And I think VO2 max is one of these interesting things where it's a very beneficial zone to train in. Um, and there's a lot of positive effects. It's very efficient because it's high, very high intensity. And I think if you look at a lot of the um, high intensity interval trains very popular right now just like outside of cycling just in in general in the world this is like the target they're going for because uh, there's just so many positive physiologic effects and you can cram it into a very short amount of time uh, so you'll see for like you know general general fitness it's like it's sort of trending this way because it's a very efficient way to get um the benefits like who ha who has three hours to go out and do a, a long endurance ride. Not very many people, but Hey, if you can get similar effects in a, you know, by doing a VO two max interval and that's your thing and you do spin class twice a week, then yeah, well, of course it makes, makes sense. 
Yeah, I think that you have to be careful here, though. It's it's really easy for, and this is something I actually experienced firsthand. It's really easy for a coach to give you VO2 max intervals. It's really common to do six by four minutes or seven by three minutes, eight mm-hmm. by three minutes, and get in this 24, 25 minute range. As you get better, you'll move up to closer to 30, mm-hmm. maybe even 40 minutes of VO2 max. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's time in interval. But you have to be careful because it's really easy for a coach to get you to seem like you're improving uh, because the response, the instantaneous response to these intervals is really high. Mm-hmm. So you can do even only two weeks of VO2 max intervals and you can tell there's a difference in in your ability to complete these intervals. And that's just because the anaerobic system adapts really quickly. But it might not be an indication of your ability to improve as a cyclist. And I think that this is something that plagues a lot of masters riders in particular, because they want to just get on with racing. They Mm want to enjoy their time in the sport. And also, you know, they in general will be more time crunched Mm -hmm. and they'll have the opportunity to, um, you know, work with a coach who gives them these intervals. It looks like they're improving. They're getting really fast, but they're, aerobic contribution to these efforts is actually really Dimension, low. Yeah. yeah. And so they'll have just this crazy five minute effort, but you make them go for 10 minutes and you see this huge drop off in capacity. Mm-hmm. And so as someone who uh, trains the aerobic system more, you can take advantage of these riders by forcing them to do a harder effort or a longer effort mm-hmm. than what they want. And so you have to be careful because you can seem like you're getting better, but you're actually focusing on a system that has a lot of limitations in its utilization as a bike racer. Mm-hmm. So you you can only, if if you have a really good VO2 max, you can survive, you know, most of these punchy climbs and the people who can't survive the punchy climbs, they should be doing VO2 max intervals. That's the zone that's being used. But if you want to finish a four hour race, you know, you, you can't do it built on five minute intervals nope. at VO2 max. So I, I think that the reason that, you know, society as a whole really enjoys VO2 max is because of this instantaneous result, but mm-hmm. you have to be careful and keep in mind what your long-term goals are. For sure. I think, right. I think most people's goals, you know, from a society fitness level are not, I want to ride a three hour race, right? It's more like, yeah. I want to be fitter some by some measure, whatever that is. And I also think it's funny, especially a lot of gym people who, you know, I'm going to do cardio and they do high intensity intervals intervals and and it's, it's not not weightlifting. (laughs) Yeah. So, but, but it's also not really like, it's not aerobic. It's very much, well, I mean, there's some aerobic contribution, right? But it's not um, aerobic in the sense that we think of as like, yeah, you're, training your aerobic system yeah and you and like you said you don't really get a lot of mitochondrial changes and um, you do get plasma volume changes Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of these base these the bottom of the pyramid is neglected Mm -hmm. and it's because it takes a long time to do the bottom stuff and you don't see the results and you know if you pay your trainer monthly and you don't see results in the first month it's harder for them to convince you to stay on so and i think some of the other interesting stuff about just inter- I mean, intervals in general, but particularly like that VO2 max, I, I feel like there's a certain belief that goes with it, right? Like, oh yeah, those three minute intervals are really hard. Oh, now, but I did it. So now I'm confident I can do it the next time, right? And it, it just builds on itself where um, I think that may be unique to that aspect, right? It's like, yeah, it's really hard, but if you did it once, then you can psych yourself up about it. 
Whereas, I don't know, I, I feel differently about like long endurance. Like, yeah, I can do an endurance ride. Sure. Mm-hmm. Or even like a, a hard tempo. Like, yeah, okay. But I, I don't know. I don't feel like, oh, yeah, I, I can really do that harder next time. Right. Like, yeah, I can do that next time. Yeah. It's a guess different it's... psychology. Like, you just, I don't know. Maybe there's some like endorphins that are released differently or yeah, the adrenaline and everything that goes with that. At the end of a VO2 max interval, you feel like pumped. You feel juiced. You're mm-hmm. ready to go. And something a little more intense, you're just toast. Yep. And something a little less intense, you're, you know, you're just tired. Yeah. You're like, you know, oh, I did, a, I did a really long tempo ride today. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I need to go eat some carbs because I'm, you know, yeah, a, I'm little a little depleted. Dizzy. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, yeah, VO2 max is interesting. I would, I, my experience with it is be careful. Don't do it too much. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have been using something like a polarized training methodology and, you want to do no more than uh, about 20% VO2 max mm-hmm. intervals. And you also will neglect this for most of the base period. That's like your preseason. And and when you're racing as well in the middle of the season, you probably won't do too much VO2 max either because you should be getting that you during the race. race. Yep, absolutely. All right, two more zones to go. So these two zones are the, the race winning they're, zones. They're really, they're really hard zones. Yeah. So, all right. Zone six, anaerobic capacity, uh, anywhere from 121% to 150%. Um, I think you're going to disagree with um, Alan and Coggin here about how long these efforts are. Uh, they say anywhere from 30 seconds to three minutes. That's really hard. <laughs> three minutes? And- I mean, I guess if you're 121%, that's really not that different than 120 percent well it's just that they had to um they had to butt the ranges up to each other right yeah so if you said a two minute vo2 max interval you'd say that's not really vo2 max right Right. so So anyhow um three minutes would be under three minutes yeah for sure for sure um and so like in this zone you can basically throw out any benefit that you're getting for your aerobic system like it's not really sure there's a little bit it's not like it's not working but really per unit it's trivial it's really not going to address the aerobic system because that's not what's being loaded primarily like yes you had to go past the aerobic system to get here but it's not really um, receiving any benefit the other thing to note about the aerobic system is actually it's also that the total stimulus time is lower Mm -hmm. i mean you're getting a total of 10 minutes of total effort time so Mm -hmm. It would be the equivalent of doing half of a threshold of half of one threshold interval or something. Right. So just the time and zone is going to be lower for your aerobic system. So yeah. you're, you're not going to see a lot of response. Sure. And so really what you're working on is your ability to tolerate the accumulation of lactate at this point. Right. And it's not going to change the shuttling really. It's, it's just, can you, are you, can, are your muscles getting used to working with a relatively more acidic environment? And this is what actually swimmers this is where they live and because most of their efforts are going to be under three minutes and you notice i believe swimmers are the ones with the highest uh lactate um what's the term they use it's like the ability to tolerance yeah they'll be up at like 16 millimoles per milliliter and just sit there and keep going and you know your body is completely flushed with lactic acid and your muscles are burning super hard and you can still produce a good amount of power well, I bet, um, you know, four and eight hundred meter runners and, uh, I bet all the rowing, rowing events are a little bit longer. I bet rowers aren't, aren't far behind the swimming yeah. crowd. And there are a lot of rowers who come into cycling and Absolutely. Uh, can take on some of the best cyclists right away. Um, and then there's some cyclists that try rowing. 
Yeah, <clears throat> Bradley Wiggins. Um, anyhow, we, we digress. So with these intervals, uh, the drop-off that you're looking at is going to be a little bit steeper. So in the you know one to two minute range for these these intervals, you're probably looking at a 10 to 12% drop-off from that third effort to determine that you've maximized your benefit. Uh, as you move to shorter, if you're doing 30 second efforts, you're looking 12 to 15% drop off. Uh, you're probably cross-eyed if you're doing these. So maybe calculate that beforehand so you, you know what you're working with. And I think to your, your earlier point about the VO2 max intervals, if you listen to your body, you're going to know that you're done. And there's sort of no two ways about it. Like you, you're going to, these are hard enough. You're going to know that yep. you, you've had enough for the day. It's just not, not going well to do one more. And this, uh, this is the zone that kilo riders will be in. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. I heard a story about a rider who passed out on the track because they forgot to breathe because they were so intensely focused on the effort. And, you know, this is what I was saying about the opportunity to sort of injure yourself, Uh, not just passing out during the interval, but just the sheer power that runs through your legs. And, you know, if you have a little fit issue, also you're, you know, sometimes you'll be really clamoring for power and, you know, does your saddle slip or, you know, there's just a lot of risk. Well, well, I mean, or you just do funky biomechanical things to try to squeeze out that extra couple of watts. Yeah, and like Kieran riders, they'll uh, they'll like wiggle their upper body a lot, and you see them kind of flapping their elbows sometimes, and it's like, what are you doing there? <laughs> but you know, they're really trying to squeeze everything they can out when they're already toast. Mm-hmm. The other cool thing about anaerobic capacity is so this is actually an area that is really common for endurance track cyclists and something that i i think that i have a genetic predisposition for um, because i really don't train this zone a lot but i tend to score well on tests of this zone and the the idea behind it is do you have the ability to go really deep for like a minute Mm -hmm. and then you get 30 seconds to rest and then can you do it again Mm-hmm. And it's this ability to accumulate the lactic acid, deal with it, flush it out, and then do the effort again. And so having this capacity can give you a unique ability in races. If, you know, uh, something that was really common when I was moving up, I've, I've now sort of moved away from sprinting because I'm not quite big enough to, to compete with the pure sprinters. But the ability to almost do two sprints when gearing up for a sprint in a crit you you know you have like a one 30 second sprint where you're getting in a good position and you're you're dominating your position and then you have your you know your 20 second or 15 second sprint Mm -hmm. at the end of the race and the ability to do those back to back and with maybe 10 seconds in between for lining up the last corner or something the ability to do that is gives you a unique capacity to uh, you know, put yourself in the right position Mm -hmm. over someone who is maybe more of like a diesel engine and they take a long time to wind up so I think this is an important zone. I think that you should learn to sprint. We have a whole episode on learning to sprint if, if you're not confident in sprinting. But there are a lot of examples of athletes who use this anaerobic capacity to like Philippe Gilbert when he won the world championships. He did. It was a 90 second climb and he it was this zone six and he was just able to produce much more power in zone six than everyone else in the race you know, like more watts per kilo. Mm-hmm. And then he got himself a good 20 second gap over the top and just cruised home for the last, you know, two, two kilometers. So there are a bajillion examples of someone who does more than a 15 second sprint to get the win. And I think that 
if you're if you don't fancy yourself a pure sprinter this is an opportunity this zone you know learning how to use it learning how to go full gas in it is an opportunity to find your own place in you know a snappier race mm-hmm. i mean i think from mountain bike racing mountain bike racing is sometimes backwards because we always sprint at the beginning to establish position and so that's so crucial is to be able to sprint pretty hard for 30 seconds or a minute to establish your position but then you might hit a climb right and like you can't just stop pedaling now that you're you know first wheel second wheel you gotta keep going so there's that ability to like dig in a little bit at the start and then keep pedaling uh, ends up being quite important yeah and now that you mention it this is also true for bridging which is a huge technique in track is you know someone's up the road you want you have to close down half a lap or a third of a lap to them can you sprint away from the field so no one comes with you and then do you have the legs to finish it off and mm-hmm. same with crits it's the exact same thing is you know so this this tt guy is up the road and you're a bit snappier so you're going to try and bridge up to him and hang on and obviously let him do all the work and then sprint around him at the end um that, that that's the zone and i would say that in general like from a coach perspective you wouldn't actually get a lot of workouts in this zone mm-hmm. now usually this would be maybe three four weeks before a big target race you would do maybe one maybe two a week of something like this you're gonna do a, be doing a lot of vo2 max intervals in those mm-hmm. last four weeks last four to six weeks but you you really don't actually have a lot of dedicated workouts in this zone and that's because it is so brutally demanding, but also because you neglect your other zones when you do a workout of just this. Like your total time under under stimulus is like 10 minutes. And so you miss out on, you know, the zone two you could have been doing or the threshold work you could have been doing. Well, I think the other part of it, right, is this is useful. Absolutely. But if your threshold was a little bit higher, you don't have to dip into this zone. Right. So maybe that base being a little bit more solid is useful or, you know, there, there's a million ways to go about this. Right. And I think that's where maybe coaching is useful and just understanding your own development and your own skill set as a rider is super useful. And you're like, okay, yeah, I can, I can gain more benefit from, you know, developing this part over that part. Yeah. And also now that I'm thinking about it, even, you know, your base training can help you with lactate shuttling. Mm-hmm. So then maybe your anaerobic capacity is better because you're zone two, you spent more time in zone yep, two. Absolutely. And it's, you know, hopefully certainly higher because you develop the aerobic system ability to produce, you know, more, more power up to a point. Yeah. And I, I think, um, even at two minutes, you're still 80, 80%, um, aerobic. Is that correct? Don't, don't ask me to do that on air. Okay, so I'll have to pull up the chart again, but I believe you're, you know, even at like a minute yeah, or two minutes. You still have efforts, a significant aerobic yeah. contribution to that energy. It's like 50, it's more than 50%, I know, at like two minutes. And I, you know, the next zone we're going to talk about is uh, very low aerobic contribution, but anything beyond pure sprinting is, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely worth it to have a higher uh, aerobic yeah, capacity. That, yeah, that absolutely is beneficial. All right, well, I guess since there's only one zone left, we. Just it's go. zone eight, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, there is no seven. Just yeah. like there's no 13th floor in some hotels, right? Um, no, zone seven. Uh, so like there's not a number here for a percentage. It's just hard. You know, it's, it's a maximal effort. Full right? gas. You're, you're, not, you're not holding anything back. And, you know, these intervals are going to be short. These are sprints. It's going to be 15 seconds or less typically. Maybe it stretches up to 30. But for most effort it's going to be it's short it's snappy it's it's hard um and 
you know, you're, you're not working your aerobic system anymore. You're not getting really any benefits there. Potentially you're getting some, uh, type two fiber hypertrophy and you're really in, increasing your neuromuscular power output. So you're, you're trying to increase your peak power output. You know, in some ways this is not different than lifting weights, except it's specific to cycling specific to the motion. Um, but it's kind of similar effort, similar duration. And, you know, with this, it's for your sprint. It's for, it's for that kick, that acceleration. And so because the numbers are large here, uh, you're also going to see, and it's short, you're going to see that these drop-offs are much greater before you call it a day. Um, and we actually have two, two things to look at. Uh, we have both the peak power for the effort as well as the average power for the effort. So again, comparing to that third effort, from a peak power perspective, we'd call it a day once we've hit a 15 to 20% reduction in power. Uh, and that's kind of hard to calculate off your computer sometimes, like in, in the moment, uh, to have instantaneous peak power, because um, you'd have to look at it right away. So, you know, getting like a 15 second average or whatever it is, um, or, you know, or the lap average is probably going to be uh, more readily accessible and easier to do. Yeah, because your computer will normally just do your overall peak. You might be yep. able to, I think they might have a max power last interval. Um, right. Garmin might have that, but um, if you don't have that, yeah, it's really hard to do. Yeah, so do like do your, do, you know, do a lap, a 15 second lap and call it your lap power and then and then work work back from there. Uh, so 10, 15% reduction in your average. So as again, this is uh, similar to the shorter part of the uh, anaerobic capacity uh, efforts where you're going to see this 10, 15% reduction in power versus that third effort. And then, okay, yep. I've, I've maxed out this system for today. Yeah. And so that's like two, 100 to 200 Watts on your sprint, mm -hmm. depending on if you're like a, a, a big guy or not. Yep. So uh, yeah, I think that what's so interesting about zone seven is, you know, you're in zone seven and like, there's no way to explain that other than that. If, if you ask an athlete to do, do a 30 second effort, it's so different than do a 20 second sprint or do a 15 second sprint. The, you know, there's this intense core engagement. There's just this, the, the form even gets kind of sloppy. It's just very, uh, well, I think there's, there's like a, a mental pacing calculation that comes in when you start to say longer like i need you to sprint for 15 seconds okay go right there's no pacing calculation it's just you're all in you don't you're not you're not thinking about like oh can i make it all 15 seconds you just go where i think you start to say like i need you to just go really hard for 30 seconds you there's some calculation there like okay well i can't go too hard from the start because i won't make it but if i don't go hard enough then you know, I won't, you know, I won't succeed here. So there, you know, there's like some mental tension there, yeah. uh, which is, which is dictated by physiology, but with a short zone seven effort, like, yeah, okay, I can do that. Like, I, I know what you're asking me to do. Yeah. And so we have a certain amount of energy stored in our creatine phosphate. Like we, we have a certain amount of energy available. And mm -hmm. I know there's a metric term for this and I, I'm sorry, I don't have it now, but the, the number of Watts that, no, not the number of watts, the number of kilojoules you can produce mm -hmm. in a sprint is some value. And basically this is the amount of stored kilojoules in your creatine phosphate system. Mm -hmm. And so the the main idea behind a sprint is you we don't have the capacity to flush 
all of those kilojoules out at once. So if we flush them as hard as we can, we'll run out about 15 seconds in. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it feels so different to just go full gas in the beginning and you last about 15 seconds versus if you do something for 30 seconds, there is this pacing because you can't just open the, you know, the floodgates of Mm -hmm. this engine. And so it is a different feeling. I think what's interesting and something that's unique for some athletes is they're able to just open the floodgates and just see what happens for 30 seconds or a minute. And these are, you know, the best kilometer riders in the world is they sprint from the start They're, they They do a standing start. They do a full gas sprint. They get in the saddle. They're already fried. They just did a full gas sprint. And then now it's 45 minutes of 45 seconds, second, <laughs> 45 seconds of uh, just, you know, smashing. And if you can do that in a crit, you'll probably win the crit. If you can do from a minute out, do a full gas sprint and then just drop your head and, you know, don't look back. Don't just make sure you don't fall over from exhaustion. I was say that the problem in a crit is you actually have to corner. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most likely you're not going to have a minute straight away. Whereas on the track, at least the banking helps you out a little bit with that. Sure. And you have to shift gears or brake or, you know, so a few yeah. other technical mental aspects there. Well, just increase your cadence. But yeah, this is uh, these two zones are like I said the the the, the breadwinning zones. Um, you these are what get you the results, and I mean you don't they don't uh, define you as a rider in the same way your FTP and you know your endurance capacity do, but they do sometimes define your results. And this mm-hmm. is the thing that is refined at a really high level as you get better. Yep, and I think it's also not just the numbers here, but then it's also as we talked about in one of our episodes about sprinting, there's a technique that goes with it, right? Like, oh yeah, I have a, just a ton of raw power. That's great. But if you can't put it down in a good sprint or, you know, the technique or the the know-how to you know negotiate the field, then all that power goes for naught. Absolutely. And uh, a big part of that is uh, core engagement, which um, is a, a, a separate episode. Yeah. We, we did have, we do have an episode core, on so core exercises at least. Yeah. And, um, I just think that I noticed that some of my friends who are not as good at of sprinting and they have a lot of hip rocking, they have a lot of total body movement and you see pro riders who are really good and they're just like stiff as mm-hmm. a brick all over except mm-hmm. for you know, very high cadence. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's just a very noticeable difference. And um, that's because these, uh, these sprinters are able to, uh, tense up all mm-hmm. of their everything above the waist is yep. is very tense yep. and all, all the energy is going down the pedals yep and they, they have arm watts too mm-hmm. so oh, well i guess that's another another topic another yeah. an episode for another day arm watts well if you're a cyclocross rider it's pretty obvious yeah how they are helpful but probably mountain bike mountain too. biking too yeah, yeah for sure but i think that uh i don't know if andre greipel ever has really been able to justify the arm watts yet um, because some some riders with less arms have mm-hmm. been uh, beating him pretty consistently. So, all right. Do you have anything else for uh, zones? No. There's there's seven of them though. Or apparently there's you know five with with subcategories or maybe five thirteen ABC. or you know who who knows. Um, and you know I think the the thing to recognize is it gives you it gives you structure. It gives you something to work from and to understand. I think it's un, you know. I guess to me, it's important to understand like, well, why, why am I doing this and how do I, you know, how do I go about it? Which is hopefully what we helped you understand a little bit or maybe gain some clarity on uh, with this episode. 
And I think the other thing that this could be useful for is learning about what you can do as a writer. Like we all know kind of what our strengths and weaknesses are. It's uh, there's always that uh, that one guy who says, yeah, I think I'm pretty good at climbing. And then they come on the group ride and uh, they maybe realize they're not quite as good at climbing as they think. And getting an idea of the different zones and what they can give you if you train in them, it can help you say, well, I'd like to be a better climber. And I know that climbers have a high aerobic capacity. Mm -hmm. So which zones, you know, help with aerobic capacity and uh, you know, do I have the time to do a lot of zone two or, you know, should I be looking at zone three or, um, I probably should do some threshold too, because a lot of climbing efforts are at threshold. And so learning about the different zones and learning about what your own goals are within the sport and having them merge together in a, in a harmonious way could be really advantageous for your improvement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, right, we, we know you need to sample at least from, you know, all the zones at some point right because each of those things have a, a unique contribution to what gets you across the finish line yeah yeah you need to be all around so everybody needs to sprint everybody needs to make it to the end of the 80 mile road race so mm-hmm. that that's the the range of abilities you have to be able to do some of them or all of them at some, at some capacity point. yep and I, but but at the same time, your ability to win a race is determined by your ability to do one of those specifically better than everyone know, else basically around everyone you else, at yeah. the time. Yeah. And, except for that one guy who probably has a higher threshold than you, but is just sitting at the back and not you know not, not going for the break. Yeah. Then you know if the, if no, if nobody attacks, they're not going to win. So that's right. Yeah. Some, now we're getting into tactics. That's yeah. another episode for sure. Indeed. Well, I don't have anything else. Nope. No. All right. Except our usual, our usual advice. Yeah, Todd. Well, well, those two things, right? So one is, you know, if you like us, maybe give us a review wherever you listen to yeah, our like, podcast. Subscribe, review. Any any of those things, we definitely appreciate. Six stars. Thought they did five. Well, maybe, you know, uh, or se- seven for we one can for define each zone. the yeah we can define the number of uh, star zones however we want now. Fair fair enough, um, but you know, until next time, keep the rubber side down. <laughs>